Hey, welcome again to the space usually occupied by the Scrum. I'm Adam Riley, and once again, we are bringing you an audio version of our weekly TV show on Boston's mayoral contest, Boston's Race into History. In this episode, we look at how Michelle Wu and Anissa Asabi-George compare and contrast on policing and police reform, with help from Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell and Tanisha Sullivan, the president of the Boston branch of the NAACP. Take a listen, and bear in mind, you can also catch new episodes on TV on Fridays at 7 p.m. on GBH Channel 2 or at GBH News' YouTube channel. Thanks. Tonight on Boston's Race Into History, for those who've been looking for the biggest difference between the final two mayoral candidates, this may just be it, the future of policing in the city, which they touched on briefly in this week's debate. We need to ensure that our city is a safe city and a just city. I believe in investing in public safety, not defunding our public safety agency. What Boston needs right now is solutions not sound bites, not scare tactics. We need to ensure that our resources are being spent in the right way, delivering the services that our residents need. Ahead, we will dive deeper into each candidate's vision for the future of the Boston Police Department on issues of accountability, diversity, and yes, funding. But first, I am joined by GBH's Boston City Hall reporter, Soraya Wintersmith, for a recap of the week on the campaign trail. Hey, Soraya. Hi, Adam. So, a new poll came out this week, the first poll taken since the preliminary election, and it showed Michelle Wu with a significant lead over Anissa Asabi-George, and I'm not sure significant even does it justice. She's ahead by about 30 percentage points. The poll also showed that Boston residents see Michelle Wu more favorably than Anissa Asabi-George, again by a pretty wide margin. Do the findings here match with what you've been seeing on the trail? Adam, I would say, yeah, they do match what I see when I'm watching both women on the campaign trail. You know, Wu has been getting a lot of endorsements and a lot of big name endorsements, and that tends to generate more positive media attention. Anissa Sabi-George, on the other hand, is typically introducing herself to new voter groups as part of her Listen and Learn tour. And I think even when she got the Painters and Allied Trades endorsement a couple weeks ago, there wasn't a whole lot of media attention there. So Wu's been fresh in voters' minds, uh, which is something that I try and keep in mind about this poll, that it was done before voters got to look at both of the women, you know, side by side in debate. And also that I think a little bit more than a quarter of those folks sampled are people who didn't come out in the preliminary election. Since you talked about media coverage, I want to make sure that I get where you're coming from here. Do you think the press is over-covering Wu or giving her overly generous coverage and short-shrifting Anissa Asabi-George, or is that not the argument that you're making? I don't think that it's overly generous or that there's any bias. I think, again, Wu getting those big-name endorsements kind of almost necessitates coverage, right? Media tends to go where there is action happening. and. Just the way that the endorsements have shaken out so far, it's demanded that there's more attention on Wu. Let's talk about the first televised debate between the two candidates, which took place this week, moderated by John Keller at WBZ. It included an exchange on housing and housing costs that I want to ask you about. Let's take a look. It's not enough to sit back and wait 
while families get pushed out, we need rent stabilization to keep people in their homes and address the emergency of displacement that is all across our city. Is there a difference between rent stabilization and rent control? I don't believe there is. It's an exercise that we have tried and it has failed here in the city of Boston. It has failed in so many other places. So to answer Anissa Sabi-George's question, my understanding from reporting I've done is that a lot of people take rent control to mean locking in rents. Rent stabilization refers to capping the increase in rents to help people who are under financial duress stay in their homes. So that being said, what is that exchange that we just watched tell you about how the two finalists are comporting themselves at this point in the race? Adam, I think it suggests that Wu and Asabi George read the poll just like you and I did and then assumed the positions. You know, the underdog needs to encourage voters to give her a second look. She does that by distinguishing herself, and you hear her trying to push the front runner to articulate some details. I think this might be a particularly effective strategy against Wu, because part of the criticism of her since the very beginning of the campaign is that she speaks in very broad, visionary terms rather than in terms of details and specifics. She does have a massive, incredibly detailed plans on her website, which I've tried to get through and I, I have not always succeeded, full disclosure there. Saraya, you mentioned people accusing Wu of a lack of specifics. I interviewed Michelle Wu and all the other candidates about housing right before the preliminary election. And at that point, she was very comfortable talking about specific details. She cited Oregon as a role model that she'd like to see Massachusetts or the Boston area emulate. There they've capped rent increases at 7% plus inflation. They're letting developers build more densely as a, a trade-off. She also said that she thinks there's growing political will in the Boston area for the sort of state-level change that would be needed to make rent control or rent stabilization legal. Why do you think she didn't want to dig into specifics like those in the exchange that we just watched with Asabi George during the debate? Adam, that's a hard question to answer without asking Wu herself. I think when I think about how she conducted herself during the budget debate this year, there were multiple candidates who are also counselors who stood up and in the same vein as their council colleagues, you know, they said not nice things about Janie's budget. Wu, I think, was one of the few people who did not say anything right up until the time it was time to cast a vote on the budget. And I think if that is sort of emblematic of how she conducts herself, then maybe it's an issue of style for her mm -hmm. to stay above the fray and not say anything until she is absolutely pressed to do so. That makes sense, because I guess by answering the question, you suggest it's legitimate. And if you don't, you do the opposite. No reason to give your opponent any ammo. Soraya Wintersmith, thank you as always. Have an excellent weekend. Hey, you too. Happy to do it. And just a reminder, Soraya Wintersmith is doing a weekly newsletter on the mayoral race. You can subscribe to it at gbhnews.org slash politics newsletter. Along with the still raging COVID pandemic and the precarious state of American democracy, the push to radically rethink policing is one of the defining stories of our time. After a bystander captured video of a Minneapolis policeman murdering George Floyd, a wave of protests swept the U.S. with some advocates calling for reform and others for outright abolition. And in many places, politicians promised significant changes, including then-Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, who created a new Office of Police Accountability and Transparency, or OPAT, to ramp up civilian oversight of the BPD. Our goal is to sustain the urgency of the moment 
to achieve deep and meaningful change here in Boston, to create a national model for breaking down systemic racism collaboratively with, with, with the community in ways that improve public safety for all. A year and a half after Floyd was killed, though, it's not clear how much has really changed or will in the long term. In Minneapolis, where Floyd was murdered, recent polling shows that while most people support a ballot question that would create a new, more accountable public safety force, they don't want cuts in police staffing. And here in Boston, Sergeant Clifton McHale received just a 10-day suspension after the website The Appeal published a video in which he bragged about hitting protesters in downtown Boston with his car. I had to keep coming. Running, hitting people with the car. Did you hear me? I was like, get the for the record, the BPD now says McHale didn't really hit any protesters, although the idea does seem to give him a rush. In any case, come November, it'll be up to either Michelle Wu or Anissa Asabi-George to make sure that past promises of reform become reality. And broadly speaking, the two candidates agree that the status quo isn't good enough. We need to match the needs and urgency in our communities for safety, for healing, for trauma supports. Making sure that we are responding to the needs around reform, the needs around greater accountability, the needs around a more diverse police force. But when it comes to the details, their ideas on policing and police reform are actually quite different. Joining me to size up where the candidates stand and the present and future of policing in Boston are City Councilor Andrea Campbell, a former mayoral candidate who's been a vocal advocate of police reform for years, and Tanisha Sullivan, Boston chapter of the NAACP president and a member of the police reform task force I mentioned earlier. Thank you both for being here. Andrea Campbell, let me start with you. When I spoke with uh, your former mayoral rivals and council colleagues, uh, they do agree on some big issues. They agree, for example, that the overtime budget is too large, that it needs to be reduced with the resources being spent on overtime allocated to other more important things. They agree that it makes sense to get clinicians like social workers involved in some response calls so that they're treated in a public health or mental health way as opposed to a criminal justice way. But there are big differences, one of which is police staffing levels. Here's what Michelle Wu had to say when I asked her about whether police staffing would go down if she's elected. Many of the ways in which we are using our, and deploying our resources when it comes to public safety and policing right now, in fact, aren't even meeting what residents need in the moment. And so investing in a public health-led response will ensure that we are being more efficient with our resources as well. We also have positions within the department that could and should be civilianized so that officers who are already sworn officers don't need to be doing many of the administrative roles that are there, which would again free up resources to where we need them. In contrast, Anissa Asabi-George said that when she talks to her constituents, they want more police, not less. Let's take a look. I am not a proponent of defunding the police. We've got a great deal of work to do to invest in that model of community policing that I am a proponent of, making sure that we have police officers that are equipped um, to handle the challenges of violence, to respond to the needs of our city's residents. I have been in all of our neighborhoods. I have been engaged in conversations with our city's residents, doing the work with our small business owners. They are looking for greater presence of our Boston Police Department. They are looking for greater partnership with our Boston Police Department. And today, we are under-resourced. So, Councillor Andrea Campbell, as you take stock of the conversation that's going on right now in the mayoral campaign around policing and police reform, what are you heartened by and what, if anything, do you think 
is missing from the discussion? Well, first, thank you for having me and, and having a conversation on this topic. Because I do want to say the framing in this entire conversation, including during the mayor's race, has been troubling at different moments. When we're pushing for improving public safety, that is not at odds with pushing for reform of our police department and ensuring that that department is indeed the most transparent, the most accountable, the most just, the most diverse in the nation. And the video clips that you played around McHale, the Patrick Rose case, the recent Copeland family case, all speak to there is significant work to do in our department to ensure transparency, accountability, uh, and equity. All of that is significant. Um, I lean, of course, more towards uh, Councillor Rue than uh, Councillor Asabi George with the stances they've taken. Um, but there's a lot more they need to do, and there's a lot more that Councillor Wu needs to do, which is to provide specifics. Um, they do, of course, have come out in favor of uh, the recommendations that the task force put forward, um, implementing OPAD. All of those things are significant to me and constituents. But there's also a gap. It's not just about talking about reducing the overtime budget and the fact that the police budget, which is over $500 million, that is not sustainable. What are the specifics that you're going to do to actually rein in those costs? How specifically are you going to address the root causes of violence? Because police alone cannot solve the incidents of violence and eradicate violence in the city of Boston. So there needs to be a plan with specifics on how they plan to address those root causes, invest in jobs, mental health clinicians, of course, rein in that unsustainable budget, redirect resources to substance use disorder, and so many other things that we know are proven to eliminate violence in the city of Boston. And so I want to see those specifics, as do many supporters. Tanisha Sullivan, let me turn to you. Another difference that struck me when I was speaking with the finalists is their take on what I'll call, for want of a better phrase, policing and culture and the way those two things are related. Anissa Asabi-George told me that she would make it uh, a top priority to improve the way that the Boston police interact with the people who they are charged with protecting and serving. Here's how she put it. We've seen you know, the calls and the cries for police reform nationally, statewide, and locally. We have to do a better job making sure that our communities, our city's residents, and in particular our communities that see higher rates of violence, higher rates of disenfranchisement, from uh, our police department, that they're part of that work every single day. We've seen some real gains, I think, over the last couple of years in establishing this um, Bureau of Community Engagement through BPD. We need to make sure that that Bureau, for example, is fully empowered to do the work of engaging community, of building relationships. I didn't get the impression that Michelle Wu disagrees with that, but she also focused on something that uh, didn't come up when I talked with Asabi George, and that is changing the culture inside the Boston Police Department, which she seems to think uh, can, in some instances, be a negative and a serious one. Let's look at what she said. We need accountability when it comes to misconduct and ensuring that there's not a shielding of misconduct in the department, whether it is on the the disciplinary structures in the police union contract or in a culture that we see that has been um, in the news time and again. In my track record on the council as I put forward legislation that has ensured we are removing racially discriminatory technology from our public safety forces or filing and getting close to a vote on oversight for surveillance in the city 
or taking votes in support of efforts on the council to demilitarize and require more transparency. Often there has been a split in that track record. Tanisha Sullivan, based on the work that you and your colleagues on the Boston Police Reform Task Force did, what is more important, improving the way Boston police interact with the communities they serve or changing the internal culture of the department? Thank you, Adam. I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. You know, it really isn't an either or. Uh, it's, it's both. And that is reflected in the recommendations of the task force. Um, specifically, as we were doing our work, we were focused from a value standpoint on trust, transparency, accountability, uh, justice, and also um, collaboration. And in that sense, that gets to the community policing um, that was touched upon by Councilor Sabi George. Um, when you look at the recommendations of the task force, you see um, those values um, acted upon through the diversity and inclusion unit that the task force recommended uh, for implementation, which would essentially be responsible not just for the recruitment, uh, development, and retention, promotion of a diverse uh, police force, but also um, having responsibility for culture within, um, within the BPD and really helping to not just transform the culture, but really um, uh, truly reform the culture within the BPD to be one that does advance more transparency and accountability. That was complemented by, of course, um, the work that went into um, building out what is now called the Office of Policing Accountability and Transparency, OPAT. Within OPAT, we have, uh, of course, the Civilian Review Board and also the Internal Affairs Oversight Panel. Both of those bodies are designed to bring about greater shared um, responsibility for uh, the work of the BPD, shared accountability as it relates to uh, public safety here in the city of Boston. So for us, it was both and continues to be both. I do think I would agree with uh, Councillor Campbell on, on this point in that both candidates, um, I believe, need to be more specific about how they will go about addressing, at least within black and brown communities we know, um, is, is truly a desire to have both healthy, safe uh, communities working in partnership with law enforcement and also reform. Um, so to the extent that this debate is, um, is talked about in the context of racial justice and racial equity with specific focus on black and brown communities, it is important to note that black and brown communities are not anti-police and that black and brown communities are in support of um, many of the reforms that we hope will be implemented here in the city of Boston. Let me uh, get your take on one other question, then we'll go right back to Councillor Campbell. I remember you, Tanisha Sullivan, at the press conference where then Mayor Marty Walsh announced he was filing legislation to create OPET, taking the mic and saying, essentially, um, this is great, but let's not pat ourselves on the back too much until these reforms become a reality. Without getting into to too many specifics, how close are those reforms to being realized? Is it 50% of the way there, 75% or, or maybe something lower? 
as the task force has continued to monitor implementation uh, of, of the recommendations, actually, I, I, I shudder to call them recommendations because, you know, at least in the, in the case of OPAD, it is now the law, yep. right? Um, there, we are very disappointed um, with the slow pace of implementation. Um, the fact is we spent a lot of time um, being very thoughtful and deliberative about a recommended timeline for implementation. And the outside uh, kind of timeline for implementation, meaningful progress toward implementation on all of the recommendations was June of 2021. Um, we're now in October of 21. Um, and we still have not seen a fully functioning civilian review board. We still do not have a fully functioning internal affairs oversight panel. We still do not have a well-established diversity and inclusion unit. There's a lot more work to do. Okay, thank you for that. Andrea Campbell, I wanna ask you about the question of public opinion. Back in June, 2020, David Paleologos at Suffolk University did a poll of Massachusetts residents and he found that a strong majority, 77%, said they did not think that police treated black people the same way they treat other people. Fast forward a year to another poll that David Paleologos did, and there, there's a difference here. This was a poll of Boston, likely Boston voters before the prelim. Uh, they were asked a slightly different question. Do Boston police generally do a good job and treat different races fairly? And a majority said yes. The numbers were different when you broke them down by race and ethnicity. It was about 50-50 with black residents and Latino residents, for example. But I'm wondering, looking at those two polls, is the political will for the sort of changes that you've been advocating for for years, does that exist still at this point in time? Well, I, I do want to first start by, you know, the framing of, of a poll and, and the question obviously was different in the second than yes. it was the first. And I always ask, you know, who was being polled? Because if you go into black communities here in the city of Boston, you know that we don't need a poll to talk, uh, to know that the that racial inequities exist in the policing model in the city of Boston. We have the data. I rem remember one year having to subpoena our own police department to get that data. Um, and many of those racial disparities have actually been worsened over the years, where it says that of the 70, 70% of police stops of black residents, 70% uh, of our police stops were black residents, even though we only make up a quarter of the population. I remember you subpoenaing so to get that info, yeah. That's right. So that tells me that we have significant work. Couple that with the recent Copeland case, the McHale case, the Patrick Rose case, which has yet to have a thorough investigation. What Tanisha was just talking about, the recommendations that the task force put forward have yet to be implemented. Great work, that is what they said is a minimum. So there is significant work to do to root out racial disparities, to ensure this department is transparent and accountable, and to most importantly, get at the root causes of violence. Because I often stress, I don't wanna be talking about cycles of violence going up and down in the city of Boston. We wanna work on eradicating violence in the city of Boston, and that requires investment. That requires the city of Boston to invest in jobs, education, mental health, and we want specifics. And when I say we, it's not just me, it's constituents, it's folks within black and brown communities that have been demanding these things for generations. And so I am pushing the mayoral candidates to come forward with those specifics as a way to build trust and, of course, as a way to mobilize more voters to turn out uh, in November. One more question for you, Councillor, and then we'll go to Tanisha for the last word. We've got about two and a half minutes left. 
Uh, Councillor Campbell, if the mayoral candidates came to you or if the mayoral winner came to you after she was elected and said, all right, I, I want to be serious about police reform and the issues involved with police reform, what are the most important one or two things I can do in my first hundred days? What would you tell her? Well, first, we have to find a commissioner. We have to launch a nationwide search. The department is in disarray. There is no leadership, no reform, and nothing that we can we need to do can happen without that leadership. Uh, the second is this budget analysis and this reallocation. I'm pushing Councillor Wu right now to go, you know, she committed to a 10% reduction a couple of years ago. I want her to keep that. I want her to diversify the police department. So there's some specifics that I'm pushing her on that I think she's more inclined to do than Councillor Sabi George. So I'm going to be, of course, looking to work in partnership with the next mayor. Okay. Uh, Tanisha Sullivan, you get the last word, I think. What would your to-do list be for the next mayor when she's elected? I agree. First and foremost, we need to focus on identifying a commissioner for the BPD. Um, in addition to it being a national search, I do believe it needs to be a search that is inclusive of community voice, um, which has been absent um, in many uh, previous selection processes. And But what we know is that our community um, has, has asked for um, a voice in the determination of who the police commissioner is. Second, it's implementation of the recommendations of the task force. Um, I, I do believe it is critically important to get that civilian review board up and running, to get the internal affairs oversight panel up and running so that it can, it can truly be the independent investigatory body um, that it is intended to be, and so that the commission itself can actually do the work um, that it is intended to do. Um, and then the third piece, of course, is focusing on the diversity of the department. We do have a home rule petition that was sent up to the state house um, to create greater opportunity for young people uh, in Boston who are interested in going into the BPD to have greater opportunity. Um, and so I would like to see whoever the new mayor is um, really put some pressure uh, on the state house to get that piece moving. All right, Tanisha Sullivan and Andrea Campbell, thank you both, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for tonight, but do come back next week as we look at a tale of two cities, how the final two candidates hope to bridge the massive wealth divide and support economic development as mayor. We'll discuss next Friday at 7 here on GBH2 and online at GBHnews.org. For now, thank you for watching and good night.